Welcome to The Ferment, everyone. We are super excited to be back in 2021 with the vintage updates for our loyal listeners here at Brown Family Wine Group. We'll be getting real-time information direct from our winemaking teams on what is and will be coming into the winery, as well as some insights into what happens next on the journey to wine. Please enjoy The Ferment Winery Updates. Alrighty, we're back with another vintage update, and this time we're heading down to Tasmania. I'm here with KB. How are you, KB? I'm good. Uh, great to see the sunshine today, Harry. Oh, thank goodness. It's been a week of pretty ordinary weather, hasn't it, over here in Vic? I always say that we don't really want to see rain till after Anzac Day when it comes to sort of perfect vintage conditions for us here in Millowa, and we certainly saw the rain. Yeah, absolutely. My, my tank at home was empty before about a week and a half ago, and now it's full, so it's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely bucketed down. Anyway, we're not talking about Vic today, we're talking about Taz, so we'll introduce Tom Wallace. How are you, Tom? Welcome back to The Ferment. G'day, Harry. Uh, I'm really good, thanks. Looking forward to the next few days. <laughs> <laughs> you sound a bit worn out, Tom. We've been complaining about the rain up here. I've got a feeling you might have been seeing a bit of that this week. We had about 30 millimetres at Kaina, which wasn't too bad at all, really, uh, and it's going to be sunshiny now, but we had well over 100 mils down on the east coast, which um, saw a few, uh, one of the roads get knocked out, and certainly uh, some of the grapes put under a bit of stress. Yikes. Challenging season. Tom, it's super exciting to get you back. Tell us a little bit about the vintage so far. Where are we up to in terms of uh, tons into the winery? And what do you think you're going to be expecting for the total intake for the year? Uh, well, we just went over 1,000 tonne overnight, which is pretty good for us. And I don't really look at it at this stage of vintage, but I'm thinking it's about 2,500 tonne. That was before vintage when I thought, but yeah, it may uh, adjust from that a little bit. So Kane is going so far a little bit over tonnage for some things and Hazard is going a little bit under, so they may balance themselves out. And Tom, uh, 2021 as a season, what's it like compared to 2020? It couldn't be more different, to be honest. Vintage 2020, we were all talking about how dry it was, um, especially the East Coast, but even the Tamar Valley, we were really struggling to irrigate, have water to do that. Well, the lead up to 2021, it just didn't stop raining. Uh, so we basically had dams overflowing uh, and so we didn't really need to irrigate. So, yeah, nature certainly loves to play games with our heads. But this is, it's certainly difficult trying to plan uh, your styles and winemaking around completely different vintages. But it makes things interesting. Can you talk us through some of the varieties that you've already got into the winery? We have sparkling Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, so sparkling always the earliest to come in for Piri and DC sparkling. Great balance of flavour and trusty Tasmanian acidity there. We've got all the Pinot Grigio from the East Coast. Pleased to have the Resolution and Patricia Chardonnay parcels from the East Coast off before that rain. And we've also got quite a lot of Devil's Corner Rosé potential parcels from both the East Coast and the Hazards, and also some Table Pinot from the East Coast. It's really exciting about the rosé. I think everyone that's tasted the 2020 Devil's Corner rosé has come away from it with a big smile on their face. So that's great that you, you're already getting that fruit in. Yeah, it's a bit different. It's, it's quite a large volume difference between the 2020 and the 2021 with the demand that we've seen for rosé, certainly here from Tasmania. And it's interesting, it sort of puts a bit of pressure on actually to, to do the follow-up. <laughs> I did hear a rumour that Ross and Judy Brown may have found a love for the Devil's Corner Rosé, so that um, may increase your volume even more. 
<laughs> I'm sure. I'll just need a whole other tank. Yeah, that's it. And what about uh, with the Devil's Corner Rosé? Have you done some oak work with it this year again? We have just washed some barrels, some punchins actually, and are just waiting for the ferment to get going a bit stronger, and then we'll run it into punchin. And then we've got a couple of different strategies, well, quite a few different strategies around sort of increasing the complexity and the richness and actually, you know, really trying to make the best wine possible. But we've got some pretty exciting parcels, I have to say. Now, hearing that you got 100 mil down at Devil's Corner, me being a mainland winemaker, that scares the bejeebas out of me. We would be wearing goggles and snorkels around the winery if we got 100 mil. Are there some repercussions or some certain things that you're going to be doing in the vineyard and the winery to help out that fruit that has recently got the rain? Yeah, you pretty much got me right in the thick of it as we speak, <laughs> making some calls with Daniel from down there. The fruit's still looking really good, which is fantastic. And amazingly, we've just gone through and bomade everything and every, everything's actually gone up in bomade. So it's not showing very many signs of actually having taken a lot of water. So we're going to jump back into harvesting down there tomorrow and we're going to be ripping off the rest of the table pinot. There's actually not that much to go. We've got most of it in the winery and that's where we sort of see the most pressure from a disease potential but we're not seeing any disease at the moment but we just you know it's dangerous if we had another rainfall event it could put us under real pressure so we're going to get that off and then move into the whites where the disease doesn't really cause us as much concern because we can manage it in the winery but we are adding sulfur to the bins which before this we weren't adding any sulfur to our table pinots which doesn't affect quality at all but it's just stops you from probably doing a few wild ferments quite as much yeah just a bit of a different wine making method and something that we're used to doing up here. So, yeah, I, I see that you, you've totally, you're absolutely across it <laughs> and probably something that you deal with a lot more often than what we do up here. Oh, I don't know. I tell you what, I, the biggest thing is I keep changing the roster. Everyone keeps laughing at me now. It's just, it's, it literally goes, gets changed every 30 minutes. So it's just <laughs> like everyone's now working the whole weekend. <laughs> it just literally just changes constantly. It's driving me insane. I need to, I need to give it to Anthony, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Tom, can you tell us about some of the, the highlights uh, that you've seen coming into the winery so far? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, everything that's come in has been of great quality so far. The sparklings have had, it's been a cool season. So, you know, Tasmanian sparkling is known for its acidity, but, it, well, it's been pretty intense on the teeth, I have to say, tasting these juices. Uh, and the first of them have actually just finished ferments today. So they're our first ferments that have finished, which is exciting. But for me, the, the Chardonnay, the table Chardonnay, I think one of the juices that we picked here, uh, not to go too heavily into clones, um, but Mendoza, I have to say, is probably the best tasting juice that I've tasted in my 10 years here. So I'm pretty excited to see where that goes now. So, And the guys did an amazing job in the vineyard with the quality of the hand picking and the fruit that they're putting in the bins and that we got to work with up here. Yeah, we've seen your parcels of Chardonnay, the Tassie Chardonnay, heading into Patricia over the last few years. And Harry and I did get a bit of a sneak peek during the week of a 2020 Chardonnay that may be destined for Patricia and it blew our socks off. We're both very excited about that wine. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about sort of your plans for Patricia Chardonnay parcels over this vintage? Obviously, as we spoke about, it's all hand-picked and then we, we can top load that into the press here so we retain those whole bunches. We're carefully separating the juice from the skins. This year, we've increased our extraction to about 600 litres per tonne for the free run for the best juice, which has in the past set around 500 to 550. And we trialled increasing that extraction a bit last year. We've sort of gone a bit of the whole hog this year. We then 
collect the juice in the tank, but it doesn't stay there long. It's quickly run into 228-litre barriques as juice, and then we just leave it, basically, and we wait for the wild yeast to kick off. So the first one of our sort of Patricia Potential Chardonnays kicked off yesterday, so that's exciting. And then it sort of does its own thing, to be honest. We don't really control it too much. After ferment, it goes through. they go through full malo to tame some of that Tasmanian acidity, uh, and in February next year, we'll taste those parcels and try and decide if any of them have the potential to make Patricia uh, or, or resolution from there. And I believe that we've just put in some dates for post-vintage tasting, which is always a really exciting part of the year when us winemakers all actually get together face-to-face. We have great people like Andrew Harris join us, Ross and John G join us at times as well, and we actually get to go through those wines and and start classing them, which uh, is always really exciting. It's a bit of show and tell, but very nervous show and tell for us <laughs> winemakers. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we, we haven't seen each other for a couple of years face to face. Forgot what you looked like. <laughs> <laughs> grey. <laughs> Vintage makes us all a little grey. <laughs> now, there's some interesting techniques that we use in uh, the wineries here in Victoria and Tasmania. But one of those techniques that I know both wineries are working on at the moment is flotation. And this is in the clarifying of juice. I believe this is something you've been working on this year? We'd certainly planned to do a bit of a trial around flotation this year. But our lease cross flow actually broke down. And so we've done a lot more than we planned to, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it actually caused me a few of these grey hairs. Uh, I had to change my winemaking process sort of well, just almost at the start of vintage when we were going into it. So there's the way you handle your cups and things is a little bit different for you doing flotation as compared to if we were doing the Lees cross flow. So it did cause me a bit of stress, but we've been amazed by the flotation and, and the way it works. So what it does, it actually, you guys have been using it for much longer than us at Millua. Um, this is our first time, but it is pretty common amongst wineries in Tasmania, interestingly enough. So it's used to clarify the juice. And in the past, that's been done by cold settling where you just leave the juice in the tank pretty much for 48 hours and the solids settle to the bottom and that's called your gross lees and then you rack the clairs off the top which requires a lot of energy for cooling and refrigeration and obviously takes quite a long time and then the juice is ready for ferment well flotation you can pretty much press the juice off and immediately you can put this flotation pump which is a pretty normal pump with a few gadgets on it and what you do is you circulate the juice and apply high pressure gas and i think we use nitrogen we have done some trials with air as well, and that saturates this juice, and the heavier particles actually attach themselves to the gas and actually rise to the top of the tank, which sounds pretty amazing. It is pretty cool. And then you pump the clear juice off the bottom, and it's amazingly effective. You don't have to cool your juice at all, so you're saving all this energy from doing that. And the losses in solids can be quite remarkable um, as compared to other methods. So, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty exciting, and I can see it becoming a pretty standard practice for some of our for some parcels down here. Uh, we bought it for Sauvignon Blanc, but we haven't had a chance to use it on Sauvignon Blanc. But we've done a lot of rosé <laughs> uh, and a lot of DC sparkling, and it's worked really well. So once we come to Sauvignon Blanc, hopefully it works there as well. Yeah, we find Prosecco absolutely amazing to clarify the juice with this method. But there is a great story that Kate and Jeff tell about an Italian guy coming out to try and talk to us about flotation of Gordo juice, so juice for Moscato, about 10 years ago. And he turned up to the winery all keen with his special pump and all ready to go. 
and after trying to float juice over about a two-day period, for some reason, Gordo juice just doesn't float nicely. Uh, this guy ended up pretty much like rocking in the corner and s- sending himself <laughs> back to Italy. <laughs> Had to, had to give him the uh, the business card for Beyond Blue. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, poor fella. But yeah, amazingly effective on most varieties. So it's a, it's a really great innovation for the winery. And, and Tom, when it gets to the end of clarifying the particular tank, does just the lees make their way down to the bottom and you just cut it off as the cloudy liquid do or the, whatever you call the floating lees gets to the bottom of the tank? Is that how you just cut it off? Yeah, if you've had a good float, it's quite a it's an obvious change like the clear the clear just and you just got a complete layer at the top of the tank of the solids and it's really murky solids and but we've had ones where we've lost one and a half percent so you know that's about 300 leases across twenty thousand, which is just amazing and everything else is bright and clear which is perfect for sparkling juices mm. you want really bright clarified juice and yeah you just if you start transferring then suddenly it just goes dark and you just you just go oh we'll stop and that'll and do nothing that stuff's so solid that you just put that down the drain basically now tom the pinot noir is leading the way in terms of intake into the winery so far or it was when i put these notes together maybe a day or so ago <laughs> <laughs> how is the pinot noir looking and what products have you picked for already yeah no you are absolutely correct i had to actually go and check just to confirm <laughs> I don't, I don't follow the totals that much. But, yeah, no, Pinot Noir is certainly easily the leading one, and it's, it's going to move miles ahead now because, you know, most of what we got left is Pinot Noir. Obviously, Pinot Noir Rosé is, is quite a big impact, and that gets picked a little bit earlier than the table gear, and that really looks lovely. The, I've got a lot, probably a bit more fruit than last year, so it's going to be interesting to see how we, how we manage that. Uh, but a good problem to have, having too much fruit. And, obviously, sparklings have been fantastic, uh, Kiri and DC, a little bit for DC, you know, that in that nice sort of strawberry spectrum. But yeah, the table stuff uh, for DC predominantly coming from the East Coast, unfortunately a little bit lower cropping again there this year, but the concentrations have been amazing and the colour is, is intense. They're dark red. Some of those north blocks in the new part of the vineyard where we've got Abel clone, pretty, got amazing flavour. So no... Pinot Noir is fantastic, and we just started taking table stuff off Cana yesterday, and they're looking terrific as well. So, yeah, we're pretty much going around the clock here from Cana at the moment, so we're going to work them hard. So, Tom, it's normally quite exciting when vintage rolls around, and sometimes we're lucky enough to have some new toys to play with. Other than the flotation pump, have you got some other fun things? Yes, we've got a very cool piece of lab equipment called an Enofoss Go. Um, <laughs> and it goes, we, um, that provides a lot of automation around some of the la- more laborious lab operations, um, enzymatic testing, that sort of thing, residual sugars, um, can do alcohols, VAs, and it does it, you, it takes three minutes with a five mil sample and does it and throws it out automatically, and we're finding the results are really good. So that's going to be a game changer for us in the lab, and that'll work throughout the year as well. We've also done an upgrade, well, to our presses we did one last year so we've got three big presses here and we've been upgrading the plc so we did one last year and what this does is just maintaining our equipment in tip-top shape it's pretty cool plc gadget so it senses the juice flow and responds automatically so the press actually controls will press harder to get more flow Uh, and you can also dial in the press cuts so it will alarm when it gets to the cut to give the seller hands time to change tanks or whatever they need to do so we really enjoy that. 
and that's about it, I think. We've probably got other stuff. Try saying laborious laboratory operations <laughs> five times after a glass of Pinot. I think that could, could be a <laughs> post-vintage test for us all. <laughs> Tom, uh, just uh, for the uh, laymans that are listening in, PLC, what's that acronym stand for? Uh, God, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm too tired for that sort of thing. <laughs> I was trying to think it's about it. It's the computer control. Uh, okay. You know, that controls all the mechanisms. Geez, the IT guys are going to be laughing at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm staring at it, trying to work it out. Oh, what, PLC? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still going. Okay. Oh, well, while I you do keep, that, KB. I just keep staring. <laughs> so, Tom, pretty exciting every year that we've trialled different products with the egg fermenter. What, what's it been assigned to for this year? We've actually filled it up already. It's We've put the pressings from one of our Patricia Chardonnay parcels into it, so it's got quite high solids, um, and we're hoping to funk it up. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to let it go wild and hope to get that sort of sulfide struck match character Anyway, that's the aim. We'll see what happens. Tom, thank you so much for the catch-up. It sounds like you've got a lot going on down there. You're juggling an amazing amount of fruit coming in as well as negotiating your way through the current weather. Exciting, scary times, but great times really sums up vintage and I think that sounds like what we've heard from you today. We look forward to catching up again in a couple of weeks and hearing further updates. Yeah, no, thank you. It's We're just really coming to the exciting bit, lots of ferments, but we're really going to pump it up for the next seven days and we'll just try and maintain calm or give that impression to everyone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like a duck on water. <laughs> good, good luck with it, Tom. Thanks very much, mate. Okay, thanks. Talk to you guys later. That was the Ferment Winery Updates. If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment or want to send us some questions to ask our winemaking teams, then send us an email, theferment at brownfamilywinegroup.com.au. So thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard and look out for each other.